Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. So listen, guys, I want to thank you for continuing to keep our podcast the number one listened-to daily podcast in the real estate industry. Um, our numbers act, have increased month over month, day after day. It's become a phenomenon. And I have to say, it just absolutely thrills us to be able to help so many of you on such a regular basis. I think our uh, listens is now it's close to 200,000, and that's just amazing. You know, considering that there's supposedly – what, 2 million agents in the United States, it doesn't seem like it's a big number. But if you envision, if you could see a, a group of, say, 160, 170,000 agents in front of you in a room, you know, that's basically what we have when we what? do this show. You know, yeah, that's a lot. And in some of the podcasts that we've uh, done recently, um, the, essentially the same day, because when I give you these numbers, guys, it's an accumulation, right? But some of these podcasts that we've done recently, uh, especially about the changing market, and oh, by the way, Julie, now everyone's talking about the changing market. And I did even notice mm-hmm. that some people who have been writing articles have obviously been listening to what we said on our Real Estate Reset series that we did. And if you guys haven't, um, if you haven't listened to those, I strongly encourage you to go to iTunes or you can go to our own website and just look for uh, Real Estate Reset. And there's uh, four podcasts. Mm-hmm. Julie and I, and it's about as you know, much detail as you're ever going on here, give out the specifics of what's going to happen next, what types of things to look for to know what's going to happen next, what you need to be doing, just every single thing that you wish you would have known, you know, back in 07 when the market was coming unglued, if you guys were selling real estate back then, which I know most of you weren't, because I know that, you know, an interesting NAR statistic, and I shared this with you guys yesterday, that, you know, 80% of all the houses in five years will be sold by agents who don't have a real estate license yet. In other words, 80% of all transactions that will happen five years from now are going to happen by people that aren't even in the business yet. So that just tells you that the turnover in this industry is pretty enormous. Um, so, yeah, I know that not very many of you were back in, in, the, in the business during Great Recession or whatever you want to call it. So you don't know. You have no – you know, you were doing something else. You have no idea what the real estate markets are like when they're resetting. And so that's the reason we did that series of podcasts and you, you all need to go back and listen to them so you can be prepared. And the old Boy Scout saying, which is what we, you know, just how Julie and I have operated for almost 30 years, is hope for the best and be prepared for the worst. And not very many of you actually heed that advice. So I strongly suggest, again, go and listen to those shows. But, Julie, it is fascinating to me how many other people, not just people that are um, in the real estate industry, but people in general, which are finally acknowledging what you and I have been doing our best to prepare these guys for for a long time, that the real estate markets are changing and really big deal, just learn to do, just, you know, learn a new set of skills, except the fact that pretty much everything that you've been doing in this past market is probably going to be obsoleted very soon. And if you don't get your game on, you're going to lose out. And those are the podcasts that we've been doing that have been getting these listens. So we'll do some of these podcasts on the stuff that you guys obviously urgently need to know, and 25, 30,000 people will listen to them in the same day. I mean, that's pretty flippin' incredible. So, yeah, guys, thank you. Sincerely, thank you. Julie, I think you have a couple of 
emails or mm-hmm. uh, comments or something like that from listeners. Or, yeah. And then, we ha- and then we're going to get to our topic. And the topic, guys, of today's show is something I think all of you guys can relate to. If not, you will because, you, you know, no matter how good you are, you're going to lose occasionally. Why did this happen? You lost a listing presentation to a competitor. Okay, so that's the topic of today's show. So, Julie, yep. before we get to that, what do you have? Yes, okay, so this is not too long, but a little long. It requires paying attention. This is from one of our great premier coaching clients named Amy Reed Bodine. And she says, warning, long post, but this absolutely applies to everybody listening who is in real estate. So, warning, long post. The thing that I don't want to ever do is open houses. I have had a bad attitude about them for 16 years. Therefore, no success. Shocking, right? But now I'm embracing do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at a high level. And the spirit for fourth quarter, I decided to do an open house and go all out, but with a twist. Instead of going to an open house on the weekend, because frankly, that's the only time I get to see my adorable children who still actually like me, and I'm not willing to give up at this stage in my life, I did it on a weeknight. I love that. Uh, I listed the house on Friday, started allowing showings the following Monday. The sellers had rented it uh, on Airbnb for the football weekend. And then did the open house the following Tuesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Okay, keep in mind, only two hours, Tuesday, 4 to 6 p.m. We did the normal advertising online, but also created an event on Facebook, shared it with my clients who lived in the surrounding neighborhoods with a pick-your-new-neighbor theme, put out a silly amount of signs, balloons, delivered nice color flyers to the paper boxes of 50 of the neighbors. The biggest difference was my attitude adjustment. Because I was putting in the effort, I was excited to see what was going to come of it and ready to talk to people even though the listing received four great offers the day before the open house. At this point, I wasn't there to get the house sold. I was there to pick up some listing and buyer prospects. I had 17 different groups in. Instead of avoiding eye contact and hiding away from me, everybody seemed interested in talking to me, and some even clearly waited around until I was finished talking to somebody else so they could talk to me about their situation. Realistically, I probably picked up five real clients. So many of the people commented on my creativity for hosting an open house during the week, which works great for me. I think I found a new spoke. So look at the top of the email where Amy wrote, I don't ever want to do open houses. And then at the bottom, after such a great experience and getting results, picked out a new spoke. So nice job taking action, Amy Reed Bodine, and thanks for sharing that on the Facebook page. Back to you, Tim. Let's, Julie, let's, let's actually read Katie's email next, the one I sent to you in uh, ownership chat, okay? So I okay. want to sprinkle a little fine. bit of added information onto what you guys just heard Julie read. Uh, an open house, and, and Premier Coaching members, there is a lot of very, very detailed, specific step-by-step information on how to effectively do an open house. But without even you know, asking, I can guarantee you that whatever property she held open had uh, these elements. One, it, had, uh, it was easy to find. It wasn't buried back in a neighborhood. Two, it was um, probably like a first-time homebuyer price range or a move-up homebuyer price range, not some luxury thing. Three, there wasn't a gate or several gates to go through. So in other words, it was easy for people to get to the house. And B, she probably was smart with the number of signs that she put out. When you do all of those types of things, you're going to get a lot of traffic. Now, the one thing, she mentioned this, but I want to drill down just for the sake of everyone listening, is that you have to know that most of the people that are going to be, this is just a statistical fact. When you put a for sale sign in a yard, most of the first people to call are the neighbors. That's the reason why Julie and I wrote our script that when you call people back using 800 Home Hotline, 
800homehotline.com, that one of the first like two or three things you're supposed to ask them is, oh, by the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? I did not hear her say that she was actually asking those folks in her open house which house in the neighborhood they're thinking about selling. Had she done that, she would have quickly found out that most of those probably, or at least half those people were probably nosy neighbors trying to figure out what they should price their, price their house at, and they're probably mostly thinking about next spring. But those have been killer listing leads. That's the reason you do these slightly abnormal things, open houses during the week, because you're going to peel off the neighbors. Because looky-loo buyers who are just driving neighborhoods are conditioned and trained to drive the neighborhoods on the weekends, not during the week. You get what I'm saying here, listeners? So if you do one, again, the house itself, and, and try not to have it be a condo. The house itself has to meet those rough criteria. And then when you do it that way, um, and you do it during the week, you're going to get neighbors because the buyers don't think to drive the neighborhoods during the week. Hopefully it all makes sense. Premier coaching clients, like I said, we have gobs and gobs of training um, on just the simple idea of doing open houses, but how to do them effectively. Of course they work. Of course they work when you guys hold the right type of product open. If you don't, then you're going to be very frustrated, and you're going to be like one of these agents that says, open houses don't work in my area. No, you just don't know how to work open <laughs> they houses mean in your area. They That's don't the fact. work it in their area. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, all right. So, what did you find the other? And yes. Okay. I know you yes, did. I think so. Speaking of which, uh, from a, a great agent and uh, friend named Katie, uh, she writes, "Hi guys, I wanted to update you on what's happened since my last email when I admitted to being lazy and was ready to make a change. We had highlighted Katie's email, I think, last week. Here are my mm-hmm. results. Number one." I called a for sale by owner that I had previous talked to twice and got them to list with me. Go Katie. Nice job. They also wrote an offer on my listing and my seller wrote an offer on a townhouse. That's about $15,000 in commissions so far. Keep in mind, Katie's in Iowa. So all of you listening in San Francisco going, how can it only be 15 grand? Well, prices are different across the country, but go Katie. Nice job. Point number two, I followed your five steps to a money-making open house speaking of open houses, because I've had low open house traffic all summer, getting maybe only two or three people in on a Sunday. My open house this time generated over 18 couples and contacts. So far, I have six appointments of people wanting to build or buy, and four of them have homes to sell. To your previous point about which home in the area do you have to sell, this would be over $60,000 in commissions. You guys rock. If I ever make it to Texas for a mastermind, I hope to join you at Orange Theory for a workout. Thanks from Katie. So thank you, Katie, for not taking too long to get into action. Look at the results. And you know from her uh, email and the one I used uh, a second ago from Facebook, how much time are we really talking about here? You know, the one on Facebook, that was a two-hour open house. Katie's open house probably was an afternoon. That for sale by owner call was really just a follow-up and a close that ended up in, let me count how many deals, listed the FISBO. They bought her uh, listing, so that's three sides, and then her seller bought a townhouse. That's four sides from one call. How long did that really take? It's not that hard. And that's why I'm always reminding these guys, it's harder to get into avoidance and procrastination and consternation than to do the actual work. So thank you, both of you. Well, you know what? Hold on, sister. You just said, hold on. You just said something really profound. You, I'm going to repeat what she said. She said it's actually more work and more stress to avoid to uh, to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level versus actually doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Julie, can you explain that? Because it's so well, true. Yeah, so the avoidance 
of doing what you don't want to do. That's kind of like a full-time job. I mean, it is on your mind all the time. It's not that you guys don't know what to do. It's just the avoidance takes so much energy, mental, subconscious, emotional, uh, creative avoidance techniques that you've come up with consciously and subconsciously. You know, that's exhausting versus what Katie and Amy did, which was like two to three hours worth of work, maybe five altogether if you count putting the signs out and the follow-up and things like that and the actual appointments. But honest to God, that, that's like one and done. The work is done. The commission checks are coming in. The, the help of your people has happened. It's, it's so much less stressful. Now, that does assume that you've got some level of skill, but that's not hard to get either. You know, you guys are so blessed versus, you know, when we were in this. <laughs> there was no coaching, and you just learned by screwing stuff up. So that's what I mean by it is doing the work is actually way easier than you think. And it's so funny, Tim, we often will get comments um, on Facebook or on coaching calls, and it's like these guys are sometimes just so amazed. Like I talked to a for sale by owner, and, oh, my gosh, they were such nice people, and I was actually able to help them. It's like you guys are shocked at your own ability to help people and at other people's willingness to accept your help. Of course, that doesn't happen every single time, but who cares? They're not rejecting you. They're just not ready for your help yet. So we could get into discussions about ego and all the rest, but really I think the point is take action and you might surprise yourselves. Well, I think but Katie not did. taking the action. Not taking the action. When Julie and I say, for example, this is what you're supposed to say. Julie just mentioned FISBOS, so we'll stick with unrepresented owners, a.k.a. FISBOS, right? Unrepresented owners is a nice way to frame it in your minds, by the way, guys, because that's really at the end of the day what they are. Most FISBOS end up listing. Statistically, almost all of them do. And here, here's an interesting fact for you. Most for sale by owners are for sale by owning for the one simple reason, no, not to save the commission, because they don't know an agent. Okay? Believe it or not, that's the number one reason. Known fact. Are, yep. So – how many times have you – you've listened to the podcast a few times. We've told you kind of – you know, we've talked a lot about different ways of, you know, going about getting listings and soliciting for sale by owners and just all of it. And yet you still drive by that FISBO every day or, you know, the other one or the other one, right? You, you ignore the opportunity that's right in front of you. Psychologically, have you noticed – that you every time you think of that for sale by owner, you drive past that for sale. Have you noticed you're starting to take a different path to work or to your kid's school or whatever so you don't have to be reminded that you're not doing your job? That's right. So what's happening is psychologically your subconscious mind is saying, come on, get off your ass. It's not that hard. The Harrises have already told you what to say and how to do it, and you're not going to go – you're not even going to take the first step. You're not going to write down the phone number. You're not going to call them. You're not going to knock on the door. You're not going to use any of their scripts. You're not, going to, you're not doing anything, really? Oh, I see. We're going to take a circuitous route, go to, you know, to the grocery store so we don't have to see that FISBO. That's your solution? You know, this is your subconscious mind. And that's what happens is you, you're carrying around this burden of knowing that you have the ability to make a different decision but your ego, and frankly, your just straight-up laziness is preventing you from doing it. That's it. How much better would you feel even if you failed and you went after that opportunity? Right? How much better would you feel about yourself? I know it's not a huge amount, but it's probably 1% or 2%. And then you'd say, you know what? That wasn't that bad. Julie was right. That was, not, that was, pretty, that was easy. I, I, you know, I, just, I just called some of my centers of influence and past clients who I've been mailing crap to and dropping off stuff at their house for the last three years, 
I never called any of them, but I finally called like three of them. And the experience I had was incredible, and I can't believe I haven't been doing it. Why didn't anyone tell me to do this before? We did. You just weren't ready to listen. See, guys? That's the reason that psychologically it's easier to work, to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level than to avoid that effort because the avoidance of the effort wears you down. The avoid, the, yesterday or the day before, I gave you a solution that had to basically clear your mind through what we call the brain dump, right? If you guys have listened to that podcast, go back and listen to that. What you'll see and what you'll realize is, is that your subconscious mind has been creating more and more clutter and you've been attracted to the clutter so that it'll cover up or create an excuse of I'm too busy to do the stuff that you are you know, essentially the most important thing in your life, which is, you know, as far as your business goes, going after sellers. I know, guys, this sounds a little bit too, maybe for some of you, Dr. Phyllis, but the reality of it is, the bottom line is, is you have to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, and it gets easier, but it's never easy. It's never easy to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, but it gets easier. And as it gets easier, it becomes more innate. It becomes something you don't have to psych yourself into. And then it becomes, I'm not going to even say a habit, because I think for the most part, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level never becomes a habit. It's always something that's going to require effort. But the effort that it requires is less uh, I, mental. It's less, it requires sure. less thought. It, it, you feel less anxiety. There's still a little pang of it there. It never goes away, but it's not like it is now for those of you who have actually never gone off to your own business. You know, I had a coaching call with Brandon Jackson today. He went on five listing appointments, and I've been coaching him for probably three years. He went on five listing appointments, and he took all five. He went on five, nice. and he took five. Now, a year ago, maybe even 18 months ago, he would have gone on five, and he had taken two. He had to stay drilled down, and he didn't. He was going. He would. He would. You know, work intensely for two weeks and then not work intensely. Work. But this whole year, the, his big breakthrough in 2018 is he's worked intensely for two to three hours a day every single day, and his income is just dramatically changed. And so is the trajectory of the different opportunities that you know he's being presented with in his life. That's exciting. So look, guys, the topic of today's. Uh, podcast and probably tomorrow's is why didn't you take the listing right you got you went on a listing appointment you didn't take it the seller chose somebody else so julie yep you got it so why does this happen well here's a fact of all the activities in real estate listings do indeed require the highest skill level here's a myth <clears throat> excuse me the myth is this that it's okay and that you can expect to list just 50 percent of what you go on in terms of listing appointments versus listings taken this is a myth perpetuated by brokers and office managers and other agents. I don't know whether it's to encourage you that it's okay to only hit at 50%. I don't know why it is, but it's a myth. Here's the thing. You would never accept a grade of 50% from your kids, so why do you think it's acceptable for you? So we're going to take a look at the top 10 reasons that agents don't walk away with signed paperwork on a listing appointment. Another fact, listing agents make more money and have more solid businesses and more free time than buyer's agents do. The more listings you have, the more security you'll have mentally, emotionally, and financially. So becoming a successful listing agent is the most challenging, most skill-based, highest paid part of your job. Not becoming great at this is a liability to your career. Make the commitment to learn the most important part of your job as a real estate professional. Make that investment. 
So let's jump into a few of those top 10 <clears throat> excuse me, reasons that agents don't walk away with signed paperwork. Number one, and I have to say this number one is more prevalent with grizzled veterans than it is with newbies. Point number one, you assumed it was yours and you were lazy in your presentation. You took the business for granted. This manifests itself in several major mistakes. You showed up late or you didn't give a real presentation or maybe it was a lack of pre-qualifying questions or not being careful with the price. Some other mistakes are things like rescheduling, not looking and sounding your best, just generally taking it for granted. And Tim, I remember occasionally when we were competing, uh, we were, would ask, you know, what was the skinny on the other agents? We would hear stuff like this. And I remember it always made me even more cautious to do things like, you know, show up a little bit early, don't park in their driveway, make sure you're looking great, you're sounding great, you're prepared, you've reviewed their notes, you know their motivation, their time frame. You know, you do have to be more careful. And not only when you're competing, some of you guys lose stuff you shouldn't with people in your center of influence and your own past clients because they get the vibe that you are taking them for granted. And meanwhile, some new agent they've been golfing with a couple of weekends in a row is a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more careful and sends a pre-listing package and says, you know what? Don't you owe it to yourself to get a second opinion on such an important decision? Meanwhile, grizzled veteran thought they had it in the bag and dropped the ball on their follow-up. I see it all the time with our coaching clients. So be careful of this. Don't assume. Here's a thought for all of you. Many of you never compete. Many of you have these small, little real estate practices. You know, and I'll, I'll throw a number out there where you're selling probably between 15 and maybe 35 houses a year. Now, I know in high price markets, that's my, you're, you're seeing dollar signs, but in most of the world, that's an agent who probably is mostly centers of influence and past clients. That's an agent who probably buys all their business. That's an agent who probably pays a ton of referral fees for the business that they get. An agent who, you know, essentially is just reliant on luck. In essence, there's, no, there's nothing about the business that they, the money that they're earning that's predictable or duplicatable and they can't compete. You take an agent like that and you put them in a situation where they don't have a connection with the seller, where they're not, you know, friends or whatever, they're going to lose every single time because they're not skilled enough. So I'm worried about those of you who are centers of influence and past clients based when you step outside of that little world that you've, you know, hopefully created for yourself and you have to compete with agents like the ones frankly we're training who are able to compete and get listings 100% of the time. Those of you who have been procrastinating learning how to become powerful listing agents because you've rationalized that you take most of the listings you go on, you have to be honest with yourself. Most of the listings you go on are from centers of influence and past clients. And that's the reason that your income's leveled off because you haven't learned how to actually compete. You're reliant on good luck. You're reliant on oh, thank God someone emailed me or somebody called me. You have no ability to go out and get your own business. That is true for most of you listening. Don't be offended. Just be introspective, and you'll learn from it, and you'll move forward. And that's, by the way, I would say 80% of the people that hire one of our one-on-one coaches, that's the reason they do it, because they realize the center of influence and past client things is only going to get them so far in life, in their business, and they want to make more money, you know. They want to get their skill. They want to go to the next level. And so they need to learn how to actually go out and uh, not just uh, wait for business. They need to, have, need to learn how to go out and practically go after it. And then they know, need to learn how to go out and compete once they get the appointment. So that is a lot of what people come to coaching for. Next point, Julie. You don't need to drill down on that. Yes. 
That's okay. Uh, point number two, you didn't actually know you were competing for the listing. This is a result of not using a pre-qualification script. If you don't know whether you're competing or not, you are at a disadvantage. You should almost always go last in the lineup because that's the closing position, but you are definitely uh, not in good shape if you are surprised or if you ended up not knowing you were competing. <clears throat> so use the pre-qual script. We have that in coaching. Point number three, you didn't know what price the seller had in mind before you showed up. This doesn't mean they are right about price, but you should know what's going on in their pricing brain before you present your CMA. Sometimes sellers actually know more about private sales than that might affect pricing. I remember we went on appointments and the seller would have a spreadsheet of all the recent sales and maybe three or four of them were private sales that they knew from the neighborhood. It could have been a short sale, a relocation, who knows? If you don't ask, you're at a huge advantage, okay? So ideally, you're not going to let the seller know more about the comps and stats than you do, but if it happens, you know, don't blow it off. This is why in most cases, I always recommend that these guys do some previewing, even if it's just online previewing, to see what, the, what is selling, why are the pendings pending versus some of the actives that have longer days on the market. You've got to know your stuff. So always know what the seller has in mind. Point number four. You don't, mistakes, you don't know the competition or the neighborhood well enough to speak with authority. Again, this speaks to the previewing. Know the average days on the market, not just for your town or city, but for the actual neighborhood. Know the list to sell price ratio for the latest comparables, and know what if that's going up or going down or remaining stable. You've got to know your stuff. Fortunately, your MLS pumps out most of that information for you. Point number five, you were rigid with your commission and or pricing. This is where agents walk away saying, I turned it down because they wouldn't take my price. In addition, you didn't create a game plan so the seller still feels like they're winning somehow. Using a script like no, any other questions is not an effective script, especially if the seller is doing multiple transactions, if they're a repeat client, a referring client, somebody who's tight on funds to make their move. So here's the secret. Learn how to use the unique selling propositions that are in your pre-listing package, such as handling commission objections, um, length of your listing contract. All of those common objections are fairly easy to overcome so that you don't find yourself walking, quote, walking away from the listing. Now, if the seller is combative and super overpriced and not motivated, that's different. But if you've got somebody who's really motivated, has to sell seller, probably is going to buy with you or somewhere else you can do a referral fee with, but they have to sell, in other words, somebody is going to make a commission, then you better be the one taking the listing. And yes, that means sometimes you take it maybe a tad overpriced with an agreement that if after two weeks or 10 showings, whichever comes first, we don't have a viable offer, that we're going to adjust the price. Don't be so rigid that you talk yourself out of a listing. I mean, 7% well, of Julie zero said two is still zero. Julie said two things. Go ahead, sorry. She said two things there, and I hope you guys listen to what she said. Number one, you have to be using a pre-listing pack. The pre-listing pack that we give you as part of Premier Coaching answers all the seller's objections that they would have that you are living in fear of ever, ever being asked, thus the reason that I, most of you don't even pursue listings. Okay? I know why you don't pursue listings. You don't want to have to answer the question, why would I list with you versus somebody else? How many houses in my neighborhood have you sold? Will you reduce the commission? How long is the listing? What are you going to do to get the property sold? What happens if I'm not happy? How are you going to communicate with me? All those things that frankly make you guys uh, you know, avoid listings. We have answered all those for you in the pre-listing pack. 
The pre-listing pack is something you give every single seller prior to going on listing appointments to make it so that by the time you're there, all the selling is done, and the only thing for you to do then is maybe 15, 20-minute get-to-know-you meeting, and this is when you're competing, right? And then uh, review the, the uh, list price, get the contract signed, leave. The pre-listing pack does the selling for you. If they have a question while you're there, it's going to have been answered in the pre-listing pack, and you just grab it and pull the page out and read it to them. It's all done for you. That's one of the key elements in the Premier Coaching Program. And if you guys want to learn more about that, just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And no, we will not sell you the pre-listing pack as a standalone. You have to join Premier Coaching. And yes, I know some of you have listing appointments this weekend and you want a pre-listing pack and you don't have it done yet. And, you know, maybe you can get it done in time, maybe you can't. But I, here's what I do know. For all the rest of you who don't have a pre-listing pack, who don't have an organized listing presentation, who don't have scripts, who don't have the whole organizational system that is part of Premier Coaching, and you're waiting for an opportunity to arise so that you then can rationalize, oh my gosh, I've got to rush and get my PLP done, it's probably going to be too late because you won't have learned how to present the individual USPs. USP stands for Unique Selling Proposition. In other words, why somebody wants to list with you. The reason they list with you is because you have USPs that your competitors don't. And I did say competitors because you are competing. You're competing against other agents. Only one person can get the listing. This is not some collaborative kumbaya business. This is bare knuckles, you know, boots on the street competition. And if you don't have a mindset like that, you're going to lose more often than you should. So listen, guys, if you need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. You have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows, and until next time, Thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.